Hello and welcome. If you haven't already, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Chris's message on the 22nd of March 2020 and Jack's message on the 29th of March 2020, as they give a lot of background to what's going on in the current passage that we'll be discussing today, Acts chapter 14. I'd like to start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you. Father, we ask that if there's anyone who you would like to have on our hearts to share the message of the gospel with, that you would help us to understand how to do that, Father, and that we would be willing to do that, just as Paul and Barnabas and Luke and everybody else who was on this missionary journey were willing to do. Father, we pray that you would encourage the believers, and Father, even though at this time in uh, the U.S. history and the world history, many are locked down, uh, we can still share the gospel with those around us uh, through creative means and through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for giving us this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. At the end of chapter 13, the disciples were leaving Pisidian Antioch. The Jews there had incited people against them, and they shook off their sandals and were moving on to their next location. In this case, Iconium. This new location started off much the same as the last one. Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. You know, I always marvel at the, at the end of verse 1 here of Acts chapter 14. They spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. I always think about the fact that Paul was so classically trained in everything that the Jews believed and that he could basically come back to them with all of their own arguments and explain why Jesus was the Christ. Sometimes I wonder if that's why the Jews got so upset. Because in verse 2, similar to what we found out about at Pisidian Antioch, the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Think about that. Here is the wonderful message of God that can apply to the Gentiles as well, rather than the Gentiles coming into the synagogue Christ died for them as well as for the Jews. I could see why some of the Jewish people might be pretty upset. All of their life, they've heard about how they need to be set apart and special. And if people want to go to God, they basically have to come to them or through them. But here, God died for all. Jesus came. And the Jews, at least here in Iconium, many didn't want to believe that. And they stirred up opposition to the great message. I think it's also interesting, as you go into verse 3, that Paul and Barnabas' message was confirmed through miracles. It's not like they just came and spoke and they didn't come with power. Paul and Barnabas were authenticated by God through the miracles they did. The other thing I think about in this verse is that, is it not always the case that they were authenticated with miracles? I know Peter often did miracles, and we hear about a lot of miracles in Acts. But this passage would imply that Paul and Barnabas didn't always have to do a lot of miracles. I don't remember anything stated when they were in Pisidian Antioch. As Paul and Barnabas continued their ministry, the, the people of the city really became divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. You know, it's really amazing to think about how the people there, they had been in the synagogue, at least that's where Paul started teaching was in the synagogue, and the divisiveness of Christ, even amongst the Jews. Today, 
some people are afraid. I know sometimes I'm afraid to share the gospel because I'm afraid of what people are going to do when they hear it. What does the gospel do? It gives us good news. Good news about what? Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. But then what do we have to confront? The fact that we're sinners. We're not as good as we think we are. Or maybe we're not as privileged as we think we are. Or maybe we have to realize that we're the same as everyone else. People often don't like that message. We would like to think of ourselves as being good people, great people, people to look up to and be admired, whether it be from money or power or just kindness. But the gospel teaches us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here you have a people who are divided. Those who want to stick to the old, old ways, the Jewish ways, the law, things that they can do in order to be good. And those who have learned that through grace, Jesus Christ has come and died for them. And it became so divisive that there was a plot to kill Paul and Barnabas through stoning. Think about that. Rather than argue, use logic, they switched to their ultimate weapon. Let's kill them. In fact, Paul had resorted to the exact same thing earlier in Acts when he was there during the stoning of Stephen. Paul is well aware of why they might want to do that. And we see here that rather than call Paul to be a martyr, as God had called Stephen to be a martyr, they left. They went to Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. As we move in to verse 8 of chapter 14, we see that the plan or how Paul and Barnabas work with people changes a little bit. In Lystra, the first thing we hear about is them healing somebody instead of going to the synagogue. There's a good chance that the people of Lystra really didn't know that much about who God was. One thing we do know is they knew a lot about the Greek gods. We'll later read about how they thought Paul and Barnabas were Hermes and Zeus. But before I get into the cultural difficulties associated with Lystra, I want to go back to this healing. You see, I think sometimes we miss the idea that the person being healed has got to have faith as well. Think about it. In Acts chapter 3, when Peter grabs the lame beggar's uh, hand and pulls him up and says, get to your feet, and he does, that person also had to have some faith and rejoiced afterwards. In Mark chapter 5, when the woman who knew that she had a problem that hadn't been healed for years, touched the hem of his robe and was healed, Jesus turns to her and says, your faith has made you well. There's an element of personal faith associated with the miracles that God does. I don't fully understand it, but I know that I have to have faith that God can use me to do what he needs done. I have to have faith that he will guide me through situations and he will. It's a very hard truth. How, if I had been lame for my entire life, would I believe that this man who was talking could just look at me and raise me up and bring me to a point where I could walk again? But that's exactly what happened. Just as we have to have faith that Jesus Christ died for our sins, we're reconciled with the Father, and that we can now be adopted sons with Christ and can live in eternity with Jesus. It's amazing and requires faith in order to experience this miracle of reconciliation with the Father. 
But as often happens, the people who were observing what was going on interpreted this not based on what Paul and Barnabas had been saying, but what they understood. They believed that Greek gods had come down and visited them there in Lystra. They believed that Paul was Hermes. Hermes was the Greek god who delivered messages, and that Barnabas was Zeus because of this power that they had just seen, this healing of a man that they knew had been lame. And the chief priest of the temple of Zeus, he was bringing bulls and wreaths in order to sacrifice. And Paul and Barnabas over and over were saying, no, don't do this, don't do this, until they finally tore their own clothes. They wanted to make sure that people understood it wasn't by their power they could do anything. It was really through the power of Jesus Christ. It got me thinking a little bit. Are there times in our lives where we try, or we at least think, that we're not taking credit for what God's doing, but we really are? You know, I've been to a lot of different churches, and sometimes they talk about, oh, all this great work that we're doing to save people. But the reality is, it's the Holy Spirit who saves people, and we just deliver the message. Now, I'm not talking about a lack of personal responsibility. God calls us to go, and we make a choice to go. And God also asks us to understand and accept him, and there's a personal choice there too. But what I'm talking about here is, do sometimes we take credit where credit isn't due? Do we think that, oh, we've done this great job that we were enabled to share the gospel, when it's really the Holy Spirit who set up that situation? We are reminded in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God already knows what he's going to have us do. All we need to be is obedient, trusting, and faithful to do those things. And I think Paul and Barnabas are showing us that here. They understand that the miracles that they're doing are coming directly from Christ's power, not from their own. And it's to expand the gospel to this new area, to Lystra, where the people have been worshiping false gods to this point. I'm going to read starting in verse 15. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human. Like you, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provided you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Unlike before, where Paul and Barnabas had been going into the synagogues and preaching and teaching, and people had a background of who the one God was, here... People don't have that background. They're interpreting what they're seeing in their own way. How often do we do that ourselves? We see something, and based on our own life experiences, we try to interpret the information. Sometimes we may be right, but we should always be trying to go back through the Word of God to understand it, because sometimes we're wrong. Let me give you an example from my own life. When I was younger, I used to read Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry... Give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. 
I used to think to myself, oh, I'm being bullied. All these things are happening to me. So if I'm kind to people, it'll be like I'm burning them. I'm putting all these coals on their head. But the reality is what God's trying to tell us is that instead of hurting somebody or bringing pain to them, we're trying to bring them to repentance. This was something that I learned later in life. And I know this may seem like a silly example, but I think it still applies today. We often see things or hear things, and we interpret it based on our life situation or what's going on. Just like these people in Lystra, they saw Paul heal somebody, and Paul and Barnabas were then considered to be Greek gods, despite what they said themselves. The, the people wouldn't even listen to them to not do sacrifices to them. And they had to tear their cloaks in order to try to convince these people to stop what they were doing. At the same time, he was trying to tell them that the things that they were doing were worthless in comparison to the living God, but that God still had shown them favor. He was approaching them based on what they had an understanding of. They didn't understand scripture, but they understood that there was rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He was trying to approach them in a way that matched what they understood about who God was. He was trying to let them know that these individual things that they may worship really were all created by one God, the God, and that they could know who this God is. When you or I try to share the gospel, do we try to understand the background and culture of the person that we're talking to or people that we're talking to? I wanted to go overseas to be a missionary in the past, and I thought I was going to light the world on fire for God. But when I got there, I realized I really didn't understand the people that well. Now, God still used me in that situation, but I really needed to do a better job of understanding both the culture and the individual when I was talking to them. Here, Paul has definitely done that, and something that we need to consider. When we use terms like salvation, does the non-Christian person we're talking to understand what that means? It's important to consider these things and to think about how can we do a better job of reaching those who have never, ever heard the gospel or understand or been to church. But that all changed when the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came. You see, the Jews weren't done when Paul and Barnabas left. They actually followed them. Not only did they follow them, but then they came and they won the crowd over and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. They thought he was dead. I can't imagine the pain that Paul would have felt from being hit by all of those rocks, the things that Paul would have experienced from being stoned, and the fact that even after all of that, God had protected him in a way that everybody thought he was dead, but he wasn't. And the disciples gathered around him, and he got back up. Paul went right back into the city. Think about that. You've just had somebody try to murder you and you turn around, and you walk back into the city. But I think that really shows both Paul's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and also his love for the people there at Lystra. There were true believers there, and he wanted to encourage them. So he went back. Now, Paul didn't stay there for long. He and Barnabas left the next day for Derby. When they reached the city of Derby, they actually won a large number of disciples. That's really all we know about Derby. Obviously, this was a time of rest after Paul had just been stoned. They'd been chased out of multiple cities, and they had 
basically defended themselves nonstop. I think God gave them a bit of rest at this point. They needed it. Think about all the things that had just happened. And sometimes we need to take a rest too. And I believe God does try to give us those opportunities. Think about the Sabbath rest. Think about the fact that it may not be the Saturday necessarily, but emotionally and spiritually, we can take a rest because we know that we're right with God. Now, I must say, I don't think I would have taken the same following journey that Paul and Barnabas did. I probably would have hightailed it out of there and gone back to the boats in order to get back to Antioch and Syria. But Paul and Barnabas decided that they actually wanted to go back through the exact same towns they had just been kicked out of and potentially stoned and had plots to be killed in. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, and they strengthened the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to the faith. They told them that they were going to have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I know that when we try to share the gospel today, we usually don't talk about this aspect. We don't talk about the hardships. We talk about eternal salvation. We talk about peace with God. We talk about being able to be uh, saved from our sin. But how many times do we really talk about the hardships that we go through for the kingdom of God? But Paul and Barnabas did. In my own life, I often feel like I try to avoid the hardships. But I know that if I'm really doing what God wants me to, there are times that I will experience these hardships. We should ask ourselves, are we doing everything that God's asking us to do right now? If so, are we experiencing those hardships and are we taking joy in them? Or are we trying to avoid them? Are we trying not to do the work of God because we're concerned about those hardships? In addition to trying to encourage the believers in these cities, they also appointed elders. I think those elders understood that with that appointment would come some of those hardships. In verse 23, with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. They needed that trust because their faith would be tested by those who were trying to previously kill Paul and Barnabas and now would probably focus on the local church. Again, I'd like to point out that I would struggle to go back to these cities there were death threats against both Paul and Barnabas, and yet they came back. I feel like the reason they came back is because they loved the people there so much and wanted to encourage them. When we have people in our lives, are we trying to reach out and encourage them? Are we thinking about them? Are we willing to reach out to them even though it would be an inconvenience? Paul and Barnabas went out even though it could have threatened their very lives. Paul and Barnabas continued to work their way back towards the shipping port, where eventually they could hop on a boat and head back to Antioch, Syria. Along the way, for instance at Perga, they continued to preach, but we don't know much about what happened at those different cities that they went through. Eventually, they did get on a boat, and they arrived back in Antioch, Syria, where they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed with the disciples for a long time. They probably needed that time in order to physically recover from the hardships of the journey, from the emotional aspects of trying to be killed, from all of the different things that had happened to them, but also to encourage themselves and the others about how much God had done 
and to make sure that the message got out that the Gentiles, as well as the Jews, were being saved, that people really were hearing the message, and that the message was spreading across Galatia. The end of this missionary journey sets the stage for what we'll read in Acts chapter 15, with some of the uh, Jews coming from Judea and talking about following the laws of Moses in order to be saved. Let's close our time in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you. Father, we seek wisdom. Father, we want to have a heart for the lost. We want to obey you. Father, help us to be obedient. Help us to be obedient, even if sometimes we know that it's going to cause hardships. Father, please protect us when we're doing your work. Father, I pray that you give us an understanding and insight for the unsaved. Father, that we would be able to meet their needs for both spiritual and physical in order to bring them to you and reconcile them to God the Father. Father, I just pray that you would be with us as we are during this time of basically lockdown. Father, the uncertainty associated with uh, COVID-19. Father, I'm not saying that the virus itself is good, but Father, what I hope and pray is that we can use this opportunity to give peace and comfort to one another through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us as families to be safe and that we would continue to meet together and encourage each other virtually, uh, Father, in hopes that someday we will again meet together physically. Uh, Father, thank you so much for these many blessings that you've given our families. And Father, I pray for those who are going to begin experiencing hardships due to lack of work and jobs and things of that nature, Father. Help us to come together as a body to support one another. I pray these things in your name. Amen.